Getting ready to take on spring? Make your first move with the reliable performance and power of steel battery tools. From hedge trimmers and mowers to string trimmers and more, right now you can save $50 on select battery tool sets. Real steel. Offer valid on select AK system sets through June 16, 2024. See participating retailer for details. Out of the gates and ready to go. Hot Mike with Hutton and Withrow underway on this 2024 edition. The first. Glad you're with us. Streaming live on YouTube, outkick.com as well. Exclusively on outkick.com starting tomorrow, January 3rd. We kick off the shows of the year with a big recap of all things football. John McClain will join us later this hour. Coming up in hour number two, Jim Nagy of the Reese's Senior Bowl. He'll join us with the very latest on the scouting aspect of what we've seen from the bowl weekend. We say hello to Kelly Stewart, who is in for Chad Withrow for the final day as he begins his Lewis and Clark expedition back to Nashville from Nebraska. And Kelly, nice enough to join us from her home location in Florida. Happy New Year to you, Kelly. Hope it was great. Happy New Year, Hutton. It was a blast. I was in bed by 1215, as we should be uh, at this at this point in time in our lives anyway. Was it, was it a moneymaker weekend for you overall? Outside of the Colts, which was, I wish everybody on X a Happy New Year, except for them. Cannot believe not only did they settle for the field goal there, but then they played prevent defense Yeah, and let the Raiders backdoor that game. I got a push. Unfortunately, a lot of people I know lost. It was a painful push. Usually you're like a push is a win. No, no, no. That was a painful push. And I thought, man, if this is any indication of how this week's going to go, I'm in for a world of hurt, but that was the only loss. I will take it with a, with a smile and maybe even wish the Colts a happy new year. Well, I, I mean, everyone's smiling after the college football playoff matchups that we received. Two, two years in a row now, we've had some epic matchups, and they have delivered on the field in the semis, uh, starting with Michigan winning over Alabama in a, a solid back-and-forth game. Not the, not the solid play top to bottom, per se. I mean, it was a, a sloppy game. Milrow turning the football over. He sacked, what, six, seven times in this matchup. Meanwhile, J.J. McCarthy, the fourth and two play that really flipped everything, all the momentum currently uh, with Bama. And then it goes all the way to Michigan from that point. It, a total of, what, 55 yards or something offensively when that happened, Kelly. And in a season where Michigan, the staff, the program, the administration, and the athletic department, the university itself pushed all the chips into the middle of the table, backing Harbaugh and everything that have, has gone on from the, the recruiting violations and investigation to the Connor Stallions scandal and sign-stealing saga. They win. They're headed to the national championship, and they win in overtime. Blake Corum takes over, and the final play call on fourth down for Alabama stuffed on the quarterback keeper for Milrow, followed by another great game between Washington and Texas that came down to the wire as well on the final play. I'm automatically thinking of the 12-team playoff, and it's because of the last two years and how the the teams that have matched up have been great on the field from a viewership standpoint. We're not averaging 21-point blowouts in these matchups any longer, and I doubt we see that moving forward. 
Uh, and it was wonderful. I mentioned I went to bed at about 12.15 on New Year's Eve. Well, I didn't go to bed until about 1 o'clock yeah. last night because I was so was jacked late. up. Yeah. Oh, it was great. It was a wonderful, I mean, what a treat. After kind of some, uh, we'll call them mediocre bowl games, there was a couple of fun yeah. ones in there. But after some real unfortunate ones, right? We had opt-outs. We had guys declare for the NFL. There was a lot of teams that cared and a lot of teams that didn't. The college football playoff was a real treat. I'll say that much. It wasn't just because I went 2-0, but it was a really fun game to watch. Uh, Michigan had me, you know, sweating late down the stretch there. Uh, after that muffed punt in that game, it was not very much fun. And then gets down there. I thought they left too much time left on the clock for Alabama. Oh, man, it was just a real sweat. And then, hey, if you had the over, you were very thankful for overtime. As far as the uh, Texas-Washington game goes, it was everything I wanted and more in that one. Washington's been disrespected all year long. We had been told that, you know, Alabama and uh, Michigan, the Rose Bowl, is going to be the real game we want to look forward to and just kind of acted like this other, you know, Sugar Bowl was second fiddle, but I thought both games were absolutely excellent. Uh, and like I said, I stayed up later because my adrenaline was pumping so hard in that second game. Boy, was that a, was that some interesting play calling down the stretch from Steve Sarkeesian? Yeah, man. And same for what we saw against Bama, right? Or for Bama in, in the overtime. But the interesting play calling, but in the second game, Kelly, that with Texas, I'm, I'm midway through the second half. This is a, a foregone conclusion. We're going to have Michigan and Washington matching up. And then all of a sudden, Texas has the football, and quickly they get down the field, big 40-yard play. They get inside uh, the red zone, and they're looking to score. I, I, thought it was, I thought it was over. As soon as they had, what, 30 seconds left, clock was stopped. I'm thinking this is where Texas scores, and they move on to the national title. I know you had Washington. The momentum was with Texas and great defense on the final play. And the play calling by Sarkeesian, you're right, on in this series, the you know, the the running back that gets out on the on the quick screen, gets out of bounds. I didn't understand that call. Um, but they went to who they needed to go to in the final moments, who has been clutch. And it's the defense for Washington that comes up big and sends the Huskies to the title. And it will be at at, at any it, no matter who wins the title. We're looking at a championship for a, a, a team for the first time in 18 years. And that was counting Texas because when Bama fell, we're going to see something fresh in college football. And we're going to see something fresh in college football next year with all of the conference realignment. So many different storylines played out. And Washington moves on again. What, their 10th their straight game that has been decided by 10 points or less? They come through. They're just like TCU but offensively, I mean, if they are if they're if there's if they are USC and they're not Washington, I think we're looking at this offense way differently just from the perspective of where we would put them uh, and just the efficient category. They haven't been always great. They've been in some weather games that affect all that. But Michael Penix Jr. was exceptional. I mean, so throwing the darts into coverage, he looked great. And if he shows up in that same manner against Michigan. Washington can be your national champion. Well, there's something to being 23 years old, Michael Penix Jr. You know, a lot of people overlooked him, overlooked Washington. They were double-digit underdogs to an Oregon team that had already beaten the Pac-12 championship. 
Then they were four and a half point underdogs and it got steamed pretty low yesterday. I think I even saw three start to pop up on the odd screen. Uh, everybody loved the over and rightfully so. That's when we got to see all the fireworks. But I think they're being disrespected here just a little bit again. This one opened three and a half, now four and a half within less than, you know, 12 hours. And what does that tell you? That the public's going to jump on Washington or the public's going to ride with Michigan because all they've done is show up and win as well. Because again, I, I don't want to doubt Washington, but I also feel like the, the efficient quarterback, the veteran quarterback, I'm looking more at McCarthy for whatever reason. That's the perception, the, the manager, and he's more than that. But Penix Jr. is clutch and he shows it yet again. Yeah, I would have to agree. Uh, JJ is more of the game manager. He's the, a great leader uh, for that Michigan team. Michael Bennett Jr. is just a, an absolute stud. I mean, the guy is a gamer. He is an athlete. He made plays yesterday that, you know, granted, being on the East Coast, you don't get to watch a lot of Pac-12 football sometimes uh, as a recreational fan, right? But if you got money on it, you're willing to stay up late. So I only got to catch a couple of those Washington games, but I thought he has looked better than I've seen him look all year as far as accuracy goes, as far as reading the defense goes. But Hutton, I think you nailed it earlier uh, when you said that the Washington defense really stepped up. Pac-12, well, they're not necessarily always known for those defensive uh, plays. But boy, did they show up big when they needed to yesterday. And I think that that might surprise a few people as far as the betting market goes. I can tell you this right now. It's not public money betting next Monday's game uh, this early on. So to see early Michigan money was a little surprising to me. Uh, but I will say this. When I spoke to a prominent bookmaker in Las Vegas and I asked him, I said, hey, what are we doing? Why are we disrespecting Washington so bad? And that was in the... Pac-12 championship game, and he broke down. He said, they're going to be six-point underdogs uh, to Michigan, and they'll be, excuse me, to Alabama. They'd be six-point underdogs to Michigan. Well, then, all of a sudden, they go out there, they beat Texas. The line opens up three and a half. Maybe some people far smarter than me thought that was a little too short. Michigan's used to being in the college football playoff. You know, they're used to the moment. They haven't been able to break down the door. They're used to scrutiny. They're used to the pressure. They're used to those that are naysayers. Uh, who say you shouldn't be here because of this or that. Uh, and quite frankly, it wasn't even brought up all that much in the broadcast last night about what the season has been with the six games combined for the suspension for Jim Harbaugh. But that those players, and I've said this in the past, Kelly, I, I, I don't know how I will view the players when it's all said and done versus the coaching staff and specifically Harbaugh. And it's because through it all, they've just shown up and done exactly what they said and expected they were going to do and that's just win execute play sound football and while there have been a, a couple of close games for them few and far between based on their schedule but also based on how good they are and then there's the Washington Huskies who will be here they have it while they have been at the top of the the, the college football playoff rankings I mean they've been right there they're in um, they win the game when the pressure was on them to beat Texas this is where I think the, the perception of both teams now flips because Michigan had to prove that they could go through Penn State. Uh, they did it against uh, Ohio State. But they've done that from the, the physicality aspect of what everyone questioned once they got to the college football playoff. Once they, once they faced the, the, the opponents that kept them from winning the national championship or advancing. Now I'm thinking, can Washington do that in the trenches with Michigan? Is that what this is about? Can, can Washington hold up with Michigan, who just did that against Bama? 
I'd like to think so. Now, here's the couple caveats that we have to think about. Washington having never been there before. Right. Versus Michigan, who has kind of gotten embarrassed a few times right. there, yes. right? Yep. Whether I'll be at Georgia or TCU or any of the other 0-7, now 1-7 Jim Harbaugh bowl games or college football playoff games. So did they get that monkey off their back, right? Sometimes that feels really good to get that perception off your back. And I think Washington did it versus Oregon in the Pac-12 championship game, just downright disrespected. Now they go and they beat Texas, albeit I was uh, a Texas naysayer most of the season. And I made a joke with my Texas buddy last night. I said, well, you know, if Colin Klein, K-State's offensive coordinator, didn't go for it on fourth down in overtime and just kicked the field goal, we may not have even had to put you through this. And he didn't write me back. But that's only because Texas is so good, right? They have the best athletes, especially in the Midwest. Now they're going to go to the SEC. I think Washington proved a little something yesterday that they could beat some of the top athletes in America. Michigan, on the other hand, they kind of got, I don't want to say it was nerves, right? I've had a lot of people say, well, Kelly, they're kids, they're nervous. I don't care what you're doing. You are in a college football playoff. When you wave your hand and you say fair catch and it's over your head, you either let it go in the end zone or you let it bounce. If you, if you, if you have to hesitate like he did, that almost cost them the game. They've got to get some of those jitters and they've got to get rid of them quickly because it almost like had that play not to lose mentality there for a minute, right? After they scored that touchdown to tie it up. And that concerns me about Michigan because they've been through a lot this year, whether it's the Connor Stallions uh, drama, whether it's Harbaugh not being on the field. They got, they've worked through a lot. I, I think Monday's game is going to be really exciting. I have not made a wager yet, but there's a lot to really start to unpack. How about the... the the fourth and two call, though, just to flip that. And uh, Jack Harbaugh, Jim Harbaugh's father, was asked about what, what he would have done. He said, punt it. I punt it. Uh, that was post-game. The fourth and two call from where Michigan was versus how that game ended up, that is massive. I don't know of, if I've seen a bigger momentum shift and, and production shift after that play versus prior to that call. That's a probably a really good point. And I, as a gambler, I always, of course, want teams in that situation not to punt. Uh, I do another podcast. We joke that kicking is for losers, whether that's a surrender punt, like I think that would have been, and or uh, kicking and settling for field goals. So it's, it's kind of a, a hypocritical thing for me to say sometimes, but it depends on where my allegiances lie. I absolutely think that that was one of those moments. Have you ever seen South Park Randy Marsh with the wheelbarrow? Oh, that yeah. was Jim Harbaugh. You know what? He just wheeled him right out there and said, we're going for it on fourth and two. His dad's absolutely right. The The numbers guys probably said to punt it yeah, as he, a Michigan backer. Very happy. They didn't do so. That is one of those step on your throats, show them what you got kind of plays. And I think that says a lot to what type of coach Harbaugh is. Randy Marsh, the, the balls in the wheelbarrow. He's, he's <laughs> I wasn't sure if I was allowed to say it out that. loud, but hey, that's the meme that came to mind. Michigan had 53 yards on 20 plays prior to the fourth and two. The next seven gained 67 and 25. I mean, so that the mentality works there, and it goes up. We, we also saw the difference in quarterback play. McCarthy compared to Milrow. Milrow has been a steady uh contributor and he has steadily improved 
week to week after he was benched. And the mentality that he had where he's still going to show up and be the leader on the sideline in that game turned into to be the leader of the Crimson Tide offense. Uh, he tried to execute the play that was called in overtime. And uh, Tim Hasselbeck did a good job of, of trying to show last night why it was a play that should have worked where he walks into the end zone. But fourth down, getting that ball on the three, they... Saban says it was a it was a, a two-point play that would have been their go-to play if they had to go for two at any point in the game. Very confident in it. And this is an offense that started out the season, Kelly, where B- Bama said they wanted to be more of bully ball. They wanted to get back to the line of scrimmage play. And in that moment, the right side of the Bama offensive line is pushed back, pushed into Milrow. And if that doesn't happen... He's going off the hip of the guard who's pulling, and he probably goes in for the score, and we have the tie game. Instead, Michigan, they get the, they have the moment. They get the stop. And to me, that's, a, that's also a mental hurdle. That's another fourth and two type moment for them because they could still go on and win if Bama scores there. But the fact they won that the line of scrimmage on that play, that carries over. And here they are in the national championship game, and after all the turmoil... After all the talk, it all is just kind of evaporated away, at least for another game. And then when or if Michigan wins, all of the controversy comes back to the forefront and the NCAA allowed all this to go on. Yeah, that's going to be very interesting. But I'd like to backtrack just a little bit, talk about Jalen Milrow. Last week on the show, uh, when I was in studio, you brought up Bill O'Brien's comments and Jalen Milrow, what he had to say. And he's like, You know, there was a lot of tweets basically saying, oh, Bill O'Brien was right. And I'm going, wait, this we're not blaming this play blowing up like this solely on Jalen Milrow. First of all, the snap was very low um, and it hasn't been talked about enough. And again, if he waltzed right into the end zone, we wouldn't be having this conversation. I I, I do feel bad for Jalen Milrow there uh, because I do think he's being unfairly uh, pinned for that. I don't think it was a bad play call. I just think it was poorly executed. Yeah, and you know the play before it was was not great either. I'm look. So he's the Milrow rushed 21 times for 63 yards, but his passing efficiency 16 of 23 for just 116. Quarterback rating was low. Uh, you, you got the turnover as well. McCarthy 17 of 27, three touchdowns. You know, there's a big difference in just looking at that on paper and the quarterback efficiency and uh, you know the experience level too in the moment. McCarthy's well, one of the more under under discussed quarterbacks because I think they're viewed and rightfully so they've got Corum and uh, Edwards and others to run the football. That offense is based through the run, but it's based through the leadership of McCarthy. I think. Well, here's my my caveat. On paper, as you say, I just pulled it up. You're right. It looks like a massacre. But watching the game, I didn't think J- Jalen Milrow played poorly. I didn't think JJ McCarthy played well, right? They both it was a played sloppy to game. What, it was, right? But as you broke broke that down to me on paper, I'm going, wow, did Jalen maybe Jalen Milrow just really hurt um, you know, maybe his future as a quarterback here. That is difficult to hear from a just X's and O's perspective on the stat sheet, right? I always tell people, you know, you got to actually pass the eye test for me. And neither one of those guys necessarily did. It was just that last series in overtime where I thought maybe Tommy Reese, 
uh, should hold some of that blame. And of course, Nick Saban, as well as Jalen Milrow. And then there's the, the team that did not get into the playoff. Everyone is immediately going to think I'm discussing Florida State. I'm not. I'm talking about Georgia. Florida State it, it was massacred uh, against Georgia, who just put a beat down on the Seminoles in the Orange Bowl. And while they mentally Florida State has checked out as soon as they knew they were not in the playoff, we saw Norvell, who came out uh, what first of last week or maybe the weekend prior, who said, I'm still trying to get the guys while we're practicing. My players, I'm trying to get them out of the mindset of the downfall and you know the, the depressed feeling that we have that we're not in as among the four. We're not playing against one of these teams right now as the unbeaten champ in the ACC. And then all the opt-outs and injuries and the players who were not there, this was as lopsided going into the game as the final score shows us. But it also shows us that if we're just talking best teams, one of the four best teams, while the games yesterday, we saw two great ones, and I don't argue against any of those teams and what they produced and how they went into the college football playoff and what we saw. Georgia's better than, than I'm, I'm looking at the, 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 the scores and the, the way that the Georgia Bulldogs played. I don't know how you watch Georgia play and say they're not one of the four best teams going in. Florida State wasn't. I still believe, based on what they did, they deserve to be in. But thank God they weren't. It wouldn't have been this team that shows up, but the opt-outs and the injuries and just the talent level compared to what we saw is vastly different. It's not with the Georgia Bulldogs. And instead of going for a three-peat or the option to win three, having the, the ability to win three straight championships... Kelly, they, they beat down Florida State, and it, the win is still about Florida State and how they looked coming off of the moment where they didn't get in. It's not about Georgia, and I think it should be. No, you're absolutely right. Uh, I saw a graphic yesterday, and I had to fact check it. Uh, 27 opt-outs, injuries, um, et cetera, for Florida State. Yep. Hutton, do you know how many the Georgia Bulldogs had prior to that game? How many? 27. Coincidence, maybe, maybe not. Uh, but the whole idea of last week we talked about, I used the analogy, uh, Florida State just took their Xbox and went home, and yeah. it looked worse than that. They never want to come back again. They never want to be taken seriously again. And I, I kind of have to feel for Mike Norvell, that's really a difficult spot to try to motivate your team who just had their guts ripped out and uh, were left basically out in the rain. And now we're seeing all of the... Uh, the after effects, whether they leave the ACC and the ACC has to find other members. It's, it's going to be an interesting next year, but you're absolutely right. We're focusing on all the things that don't matter. Georgia would have been a favorite to Michigan. Georgia would have been a favorite to Alabama. They would have been a favorite to Washington and they would have been a favorite to Texas. But the bottom line is you still have to play the games. And because Georgia's lost to Alabama before in an SEC championship game, they didn't come to play that day, at least not in that particular moment in time. Uh, the, they were six-point favorites in that one, Hutton. That kind of alludes to that six, seven out of ten times or somewhere in between, they should win that football game. Do I believe that the way that they played that day, that would have been the case? No, absolutely not. Now, 
I do think that going forward, we're going to see more SEC teams get in, whether they should or not, uh, because of these types of scenarios. So it's going to be interesting to see what happens to the other Power Five conferences when we start to expand to the 12-team college football playoff. I love what Kirby Smart said after the game, too, uh, after the 63-3 beatdown of of FSU and about all those opt-outs, because he said people need to see what happened tonight, and they need to fix this, speaking of college football. Uh, it needs to be fixed. It's very unfortunate that they who have a very good, fo- very good football team, good program, they're in the position that they're in. Everybody can say it's their, their own fault. It's their own problem. We can say that we had our guys. They didn't have their guys. I can listen to all that, but college football has to decide what they want. I know things are changing. Things are going to change next year. You, you know what? There's going to still be bowl games outside of those. People have to decide what they want and what they really want to get out of it. Because it's really unfortunate for the kids on the sideline that had to play in the game and they didn't have their full arsenal. It affected the game 100%. It absolutely did. Um, I I think in large part, they need to push back the timetable for the portal and push back, and it's on the NFL for this, push back the option on if you're going pro or not. But I do wonder how this will affect a 12-team playoff versus a 14-team playoff with opt-outs. We're not going to see it as much. We saw it in Texas with Malik Murphy, who, because of that timetable, wasn't there on the sideline with Texas because he opted out. He's preparing for something else. Kelly, Kirby Smart's right, but Kirby Smart put an exclamation point on the win of Florida State, regardless of the circumstance. It did affect the game massively. But I think even if Florida State's playing that game with more healthy players, mentally, they're still not there. All of this started when Norvell admitted, and we all saw it live whenever they knew they weren't in, that they were checking out. Because that's what they were told. Hey, you're not worthy of being in. You're playing the ACC, and while you're unbeaten, you're not as good as some other teams that are behind you right now. They're jumping you. Peace. Have fun with Georgia. It really was unfortunate for that fact, but I do think that... From the outside looking in now, of course, hindsight always 2020. I do think that Florida State would have still gotten absolutely smoked by a couple of these other teams. And that is not because they're playing with a second or third string quarterback. That's just because if you look at the strength of schedule, yes, Florida State had a great defensive line, one of the best yes. in the country. Yes. I, I'm not going to deny that. But I do have to kind of wonder at some point in time, if these tougher schedules that some of these teams play don't start to come into fruition, uh, you know, there was this Florida state team struggled with a couple of other teams, Boston college. Uh, They did get a late cover over Pitt. Uh, Maybe they shouldn't have beat Clemson. I know that I was on the Florida Gators there with a uh, backup quarterback and that one got a little dicey, you know, in a rivalry game. Florida State looked really, really good to start the season. Injuries did pile up. Obviously, losing Jordan Travis was hurtful for them. But from a power ratings-wise, Oregon, if you listen to all the bookmakers, Oregon should have gotten in over Washington. I mean, you still have to play the game. Did they still deserve to play the game? Absolutely. But I have a feeling that they would not have been near as exciting as the two games we got to watch yesterday. Yeah, but Washington, you know, Washington is, the, is the great example of why Florida State cannot be counted out. And regardless of the injuries, plural, and, and the, the opt-outs, the main reason Florida State did not get in was because Jordan Travis was not the quarterback. That was the sole focus the committee said as to why the 
we, we saw Alabama get in uh, with the one loss and not Florida State at the four seed. Uh, starting tomorrow, the only place to catch Outkick's original and fearless content live is going to be on our website, outkick.com. You're going to be able to catch up on uh, YouTube post-show live. But for all of our live unfiltered content, you head over to the Watch tab. You just click the Watch tab at Outkick.com. You're not going to miss a beat. In 2024, Outkick.com slash watch. It's your one-stop shop for all things Outkick. Um, The Eagles lose. I'm out of my elimination pool. I'm I'm dead to rights going into the final week. Congratulations, Davey. And they lose to the Arizona Cardinals, which allows Dallas to win and host a playoff game and potentially more. Dallas at home, legit. The Eagles right now, they have to find something. Losing to Arizona and then losing the way they have recently. I have all the talent in the world. Kelly, I'm coming around to your side of this, that the Super Bowl loser from a year ago is not going to be uh, the, well... They're going to continue the trend. They're not the outlier where traditionally, if you lose in the Super Bowl, you either don't get back to the postseason or you certainly don't come close to the Super Bowl the, the following year. Philly's talented enough to do it. I don't know what's changed when they've changed their defensive coordinator in week 15. Quarterback Jalen Hurts is speaking on continuity and commitment. Something's going on behind the scenes that wasn't there a year ago. Arizona goes in and wins, and now Dallas the team you do not want to go on the road and face, they have the opportunity to have the home field advantage from their perspective in Jerry's world. Got some help from the officials against Detroit, but nonetheless, they get it done. And they didn't have to win on Sunday to find out that they can win this weekend and control it. That's a massive result for Philadelphia and for Dallas. Yeah, this is going to be a really interesting NFC East uh, playoff scenario, right? We we had spoke about this last week, right? A couple of teams just going to go on cruise control right now. I think that's what the Philadelphia Eagles did uh, on Christmas. They went on cruise control. Oh, we just have to beat the Giants twice in the, the Cardinals. I only got to catch a couple of uh, plays from that game. And that's because I didn't have any action on it. But what in the world was Philadelphia thinking just, just got it. No big deal. Just got to beat the Arizona Cardinals. This Cardinals team is the same team who were 12 and a half point underdogs that beat another team in their division, the Dallas Cowboys. This is the same team that should have beaten the New York Giants there a few weeks into the season. I mean, what one of our guests last week literally said, no, it's the NFL. We don't overlook each other. Well, I call BS because that is yeah. exactly what the Philadelphia Eagles did last week. Well, they were, they've been held to under 20 points in three of their last four games. Hertz is in the offense. They, they just don't, they found their footing early. And he was getting the football to A.J. Brown, Devontae Smith, uh, even Julio Jones. Um, he, I mean, he had two touchdowns in the first half. And then the other side of the ball, the Arizona defense with Jonathan Gannon coming back to Philadelphia, the former defensive coordinator, pulls out the NFL, uh, the, the upset of the, of the NFL going into uh, week 17 where just flat, Philadelphia was just flat in the second half. And meanwhile, the Cardinals, they're not as bad as I expected them to be. They play hard. I am shocked by that, given the fact that I thought it was going to be a disaster with Jonathan Gannon and that higher. But 
with their they have wins over the Cowboys, Steelers, and now the Eagles, and all of those teams are in the playoff hunt. That is a great sign for a team that had no business being listed in that category with wins over those teams in 2023. I'm pretty sure this is the where the uh, saying any given Sunday came because in college football, we don't have these types of upsets all the time, right? There, there are definitely double-digit underdogs that went out right every single Saturday, but the parity in college football is so significantly different than the NFL. These are still professional teams. These are guys that are playing for incentives. These guys are playing for starting positions next year, maybe uh, playing for a trade. There, I, why this happens all the time is mind-boggling to me. We almost saw the, the Bills right before that lose to the Chargers and Easton right. Stick. I, I, this, this is what makes the NFL so great. Uh, but as back, back to the Eagles, I said this, they were this year's, uh, Vikings. They were this team that kept winning one score games. They had some of the best second half stats throughout the season until about six weeks ago. And I think the wheels started to fall off. This defense started to get exploited. And that was because when you give offensive coordinators in the NFL enough time, they're going to find out your weaknesses. The secondary was absolutely a liability there for a little bit. And yes, when you start double teaming guys like AJ Brown, you've got to be able to open it up somewhere. And unfortunately you cannot win games with one yard at a time doing the brotherly shove. No. Hey, uh, uh for whatever reason, that's the most exciting play that we've seen from them in recent weeks. Um, and meanwhile, Dallas, Kelly, I'm, I'm curious from the Vegas perspective here. They went at home. They're now 16-0 and at home. In those games prior to the one-point win over Detroit, which we'll get to this call in, in, in a second, prior to that one-point win over Detroit this past weekend, they had won their previous seven games, counting this up, seven games by nearly 25 points, just at the 25-point mark. And then on the road, they're three and five, and they have defeats, three of them, by 12 points or more. That's a lopsided, just ev lopsided evidence. They're going to get two games at home. If San Francisco were to lose the opening round of the playoffs, the playoffs go through Dallas, and the Cowboys have that path. This increases the pressure on Mike McCarthy, but man, this would be massive if the Cowboys could get that. Yeah, America's team. We're going to see uh, what they're really made of being able to go on the road in the second half of the playoffs if the Niners lose. But look, I think they kind of have a golden horseshoe, Hutton. I watched that Detroit right. Lions game. I could not believe. We talked about the pair that Jim Harbaugh had. Oh, my gosh. Dan Campbell only got overshadowed just momentarily. That was completely ballsy to go out there and say, you know what? We don't care. We'll take the penalty and we're still going for two because you want to win football games. I would not have gone for two on the seven yard line. I would have kicked it and no uh, hesitation. Giving myself a little more. Yeah, but there was not a single, he was like, I'm going to win this football game. And sometimes arrogance can get the best of you. Uh, I don't know if that was arrogance though. I think that was just pure Dan Campbell trusting his team and what their capabilities are. Uh, the Dallas Cowboys. How do I say this nicely? I am. I grew up in the nineties Hutton where everybody had the Dallas Cowboys starter jackets, right? Yep. Everybody was the Dallas Cowboy fan. Um, and that's probably some point in time when they got the America team, America's team reference. They're like the Texas Longhorns to me every year. They're back every year. Everybody wants to wager on them. So from a Vegas perspective, I always have to take a step back and say, okay, what am I missing here from this Dallas Cowboys team that everybody else is so enamored with? 
Well, right now, Dak is playing at a very high level. Uh, last weekend, one of my wagers was Dak to throw an interception, and everybody said, Kelly hasn't thrown an interception in like five games. Well, that was right out of the gate almost. And yeah. that's because there are certain defenses that can get good reads on him. They throw him out of his rhythm, and it's going to be a long day for Dak. Again, at home, they are a different team. So I think it is going to be interesting to see at least for the first couple rounds of the playoffs going through Dallas and what they're able to do. I mean, it's been a long time since the Dallas Cowboys have been in the Super Bowl. I think it's going to be even longer uh, because I don't think they're going to get there this year. Hey, one thing I know that we're not going to see that we should, the NFL, Brad Allen's crew, and Brad Allen, who has been a longtime white hat, head referee uh, for the league, um, you normally don't see him screw things up. It's normally some other guys uh, that are uh, also what for household names as officials. Kelly, we're not going to hear any explanation. All we're hearing from is Adam Schefter detailing things. We're, we're hearing protocol of how to report and do this and that post game from reporters instead of and insiders instead of the actual league and the officials and the officials' office. I don't know how. You can get through that matchup and go through that call and not explain it better or in some way whatsoever than what they've done, which is just feed info and analysis and rules and how they perceive it to be and what happened with the protocol of 68 reporting, but he, he was, uh, Brad Allen said 70 report. What a cluster. What a cluster on a play where Detroit's going to win in a walk-off. Yeah, cluster is a, a nice way to put it there, Hutton. Um, I had no skin in the game, so Good. I didn't have a reason to get angry, if you will, um, as far as the the winner went there. Uh, if I was a Detroit Lions fan, though, I don't think I'd be very happy. And you're right. These refs make this entire game about them. There's flags all over the field all the time. They can't wait, it seems like, some days to get on the mic. And now they want to go radio silence and not just say, hey, here's here's what happened. Either A, we screwed up, and here's why, or B, we didn't screw up too bad. See you later. There's got to be some sort of accountability here. Uh, Chad said it a couple of weeks ago is that he thought like where we're hitting with officials because they are so highly scrutinized and because nobody wants to do these jobs that we're yeah. seeing less and less people wanting to become officials. And now they're having like high school games on, you know, Tuesdays and Wednesday nights, just because there's a lack of, well, think about the lack of at that level, at that high level, it's, it's you're going to be scrutinized and and you are underneath the spotlight and you are expected to be right a hundred percent of the time, because guess what? Your decision, your opinion, your uh, job can definitely dictate games. And unfortunately it costs the Detroit lions one. Yep. And I mean, it had a mass exodus of some, some head refs uh, that went into retirement or back to their day-to-day job uh, over the last couple of years. Uh, Kelly Stewart in for Chad Withrow. Coming up, John McClain will jump into the mix. We'll talk more NFL, including the Baltimore Ravens who beat down the Miami Dolphins. And because of the Dolphins' loss, it sets up an AFC East showdown for the top between the Bills and Dolphins in Week 18. Plus, we've got the MVP odds and much more. John McClain straight ahead. Hot Mike with Hutton with rolls on across the Outkick Network. What's up, everyone? It's Nick Wright, and I got something exciting to talk to you about today. Angie, your ultimate destination for getting all your jobs done well. Now, Angie isn't just your average home services marketplace. 
It's a game changer. With over 150 million homeowners served and a network of over 200,000 skilled pros, Angie has experience and expertise to tackle any project with ease. Whether you're looking to spruce up your backyard or undergo a major home renovation, Angie's got your back. And their pros are locally based, often running small businesses right in your community. And here's the best part. Angie makes the process seamless. From researching and comparing pros to scheduling services at your convenience, Angie's user-friendly platform puts you in control. So why settle for anything less than perfection when it comes to your home? With Angie, you can trust every project will be completed with the utmost care and professionalism. So get started at Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I, or download the app today to discover why homeowners across the nation are turning to Angie to get all their jobs done well. Hot Mike with Henna Withrow rolls on across the Outkick Network. Kelly Stewart joins us in for Chad, who will be rejoining the show tomorrow. Sixth and Peabody, our location with Yeehaw Beer and Old Smoky Moonshine. Hey, the Outkick store is up and live right now at Outkick.com, the new and improved Outkick store. It's finally there for you. Stock up on golf polos, T-shirts, hats, and all of the merch right now. Shop.Outkick.com. Joined by John McClain. Sports Radio 610. He's covered the league for nearly five decades. A lot to get into as we go into the final week of the season in what was a... Jam-packed, exciting, controversial, Week 17. John, how are you? Happy New Year to you. Happy New Year, guys. Uh, Texans play Saturday night. They haven't even had a late window game on Sunday. Every game started at noon. Now they get the royal treatment from ESPN and ABC, and they go to Indy where they won last year in a humongous game at the end of the season in which they scored at the end, went for two, Made it, won the game. Everybody was infuriated in Houston because it cost them the top pick in Bryce Young. And now what does it set up for Houston now? What do you make of this team going into the final week? With C.J. Stroud back, he he played. They won by 23. That's the first time the Texans had won a game that wasn't decided in the last 30 seconds since October 1st when they beat the Steelers by 24. Every game they've won has been close. They're six and three in games decided by six or less or in the last 30 seconds. So it was nice to have a game you knew was going to be settled. I started already working on my column in my report card about the start of the fourth quarter. But if they win Saturday night, they need the Titans to beat the Jaguars. And I believe if Ryan Tannehill is the quarterback, because he's auditioning for another job. He's healthy. He's got experience. I think the Titans have a better chance than playing a Will Levis who is banged up big time. Detroit and Dallas, the offensive lineman reporting, not reporting, who was eligible, who wasn't. What do you make of the debacle for Detroit who thought they had just gone up and scored on a two-point conversion to go up by one? And with seconds remaining, the game looked over. Detroit was going to go to Dallas where no one wins and win in week 17. Instead, Dallas ends up winning that game 
where Dan Campbell continues to go for two on those snaps. And the explanation was so back and forth post game. I'm still not sure what occurred. Well, I can tell you exactly what happened. The Lions tried to outsmart the Cowboys by sending three linemen over to the referee, hoping to confuse the Cowboys. And all they did was confuse the referee, who should have stopped. And he was too uh, concerned with getting the game to continue. Instead, he just listened quickly and kept going. And he thought Dan Skipper, number 70, checked in when it was 68. Taylor Decker, who caught the pass, but the Lions outsmarted themselves. There ought to be a rule one guy can go over because it's got to be announced. And uh, I thought it was interesting. Dan Campbell said, I told him before the game, well, the referee's not even involved in that meeting before the game with the coaches. So the Lions got too cute, and the referee blew it. And so now you know. They'll work on that all season when it comes to the rules. And Dan Campbell's got to learn when to kick and uh, instead of being so stubborn. But, uh, and I, I don't like the Cowboys, and it worked out great for the Cowboys. Now they might fool around and actually get an NFC championship game for the first time since I was in diapers. Well, let's, uh, let's look to that because they, with a win, can – have home field advantage, which is massive for Dallas, John, as we all know, especially this season. What do you make of the Dallas Cowboys at home in the postseason? I don't trust Mike McCarthy in big game moments. He showed it again in that game you know, when he was throwing the ball instead of running at the end, forcing the Lions to use timeouts. I saw a thing that figured it up. They gave the Lions 40 extra seconds with his clock management. We've seen it before in big games. Now, if they're blowing people out like they usually do at home, that's fine. But when it comes down to close games in which the head coach has got to make smart decisions, I do not trust Mike McCarthy. But they've been invincible at home, unbeaten, averaging almost 40 points a game. It's their best chance to get back to the Super Bowl because Philadelphia just spit the bit, choking like crazy, losing at home. Arizona is inexcusable. And of course, San Francisco is still to me the best team. I don't see the Cowboys beating the 49ers who whipped them big time during the season. All right, John, we're going to switch gears to the other conference because you and I both have a nice ticket on uh, the Ravens. That's who we both picked to win the Super Bowl. So last weekend, very happy with the results. Now, my Dolphins win the AFC East ticket is not feeling as good. Let's break down the AFC East here. Are the Dolphins just pretenders? What's going on in Miami? Well, I think they're Super Bowl pretenders. There's not but two or three teams that look like they're capable of getting to the Super Bowl this year. The two teams that have home field advantage are definitely the best. But Miami, despite injuries to pass rushers, despite injuries to uh, the running game, I think, as long as Tua Tagovailoa is healthy, and I believe this is the first time he's ever played a full season, going back to when he was a freshman in Alabama, as long as he's there and Tyreek Hill there, they can they can afford to lose to Jason Waddle. I think that whipping they got uh, from Buffalo in the first game and the fact that it's a monstrous game, I think they're going to win it. I think they're going to get in. I think the Steelers are going to win. I think. Buffalo wins the division or they miss the playoffs. And wouldn't that be something? Because nobody wants to play them right now. 
Uh, that would be very true. I am nervous for Sunday's game, but I want to talk more about week 18 in general here. So week 17, when I first got into handicapping was always tough. You didn't know who was playing. You didn't know if the coach was telling the truth about who was playing. Now we added in an extra week here, week 18. Tell me how you like to navigate it from either a fan perspective, who cares, who doesn't care, who should we be believing here? Um, and then for myself, obviously there's a several games with several implications that actually matter, but I'm kind of thinking, you know, let's look at the Ravens maybe saying, yeah, sure. We're going to set Lamar. He doesn't need to play. We've got Tyler Huntley. Who's a carbon copy of Lamar, if you will. And we get it maybe spoil our arch rivals, the Steelers playoff hopes. I mean, do you take those types of things into account? I do, but a team has to look at itself first. And if you think if they give Lamar off this weekend, then he's got two more weeks off. We've seen examples of teams, coaches have given the main players three weeks off and it's backfired. So it wouldn't surprise me if John Arbaugh doesn't play him a little bit and then put Huntley in. And uh, because so much of Lamar's passing is based on timing and and he needs all the time he can get. And right now he's got a proving win in the playoffs. He's won one playoff game in his career. He's runaway MVP. But uh, I think I think they're not going to keep him on the sideline for three weeks. He'd probably go crazy. And uh, there's a good chance they'll win that game with Hundley at home because he started. He played the last last year, maybe can't remember if he played two years ago. At this time of year, Kelly, I like the teams that have their quarterbacks healthy. Now, if you're lucky to have a Joe Flacco and your Wacko for Flacco, that's great. But that bubble could burst anytime based on the way he's played in the past. But give me the quarterbacks who are healthy all season because if you're missing your quarterback this time of year, even if you're the Browns, you've got to be worried. John McClain with us. You can follow him on social at McClain underscore on underscore NFL. John, we have the Cleveland Browns who are in the postseason. Are they just sitting? They're going to sit Flacco for the, the final week of the season? He sat long enough. Now, they, of course, don't want to take a chance on him getting hurt, but you know he wants to play. He hasn't gotten hit a lot, which is amazing considering he's 6'6". He's got a little mobility, but he's a pocket passer, and he's got a lot of interceptions. So I'm guessing he might get some playing time unless he's got an injury we don't know about that needs resting. But, uh, you know, I I think uh, if if you sit him and he comes back and he's not as hot as he was before he was had to sit, he's, Kevin Stavis is going to regret that big time. I think I would play him a little bit just to let him get a feel of it and then bring him in at maybe halftime or at the end of a couple of drives. Kelly's going to go ahead, Kelly. Oh, sorry, Hutton. No, I uh, wanted to kind of go over to the NFL draft after watching the college football playoff last night. Hutton and I raved about it for the first 30 minutes of the show. Like what great games uh, we got to, you know, have as a treat there. But I kind of have to wonder if we have some quarterbacks whose draft stock has went up a little bit, maybe a quarterback or two whose draft stock has went down. Uh, Caleb Williams still is kind of the front runner here, but I'm curious as to what your opinions are for some of these guys and how that correlates to the NFL. I'm covering the NFL for 48 years. The NFL scouts will never admit this. They don't care what they do in college. They only care what they do in shorts and T-shirts at their pro day, private workouts, senior bowl workouts, when they meet them for lunch and dinner. 
you can be a mediocre prospect and you can get a couple of go up a couple of rounds if you look good at the underwear Olympics, as they call the combine. Yes, Michael Penix is fabulous. He's been playing like that all year. I've watched four of his games. That was the fifth one. You know, he's going to be 24 years old, but a lot of these quarterbacks are older now because they've spent so much time in college. And the injury factor will be something he'll really have to deal with. He'll get poked and prodded by team doctors so much trying to look at those two torn ACLs. And but he is magnificent in a draft that's going to be magnificent from quarterbacks. It'll still be Caleb Williams or Drake May, I believe, when everything is said and done. Then you'll have Daniels, Penix, Knicks, uh, Quinn Ewers. I think will go back to Texas, Arch Manning will sit another year or compete with him for the starting job, but it would not be smart for viewers to come out now. Uh, he needs to go back to school, stay another year, play, improve. He's really only had one full season as a starter competing against other quarterbacks who have, have multiple years as a starter. And think about Washington, great receivers, great linemen, Michigan loaded with linemen. People think J.J. McCarthy's also going to be a number one pick. They can't all go in the first round, but it's too bad because the time we get close to the draft, nobody's going to be talking about what the quarterbacks did in the bowl games of the season. It's all going to be how they did at the all-star game workouts, not the games, but the workouts, their pro days, their combines, and their private workouts for teams. John, finally for you, Bills and Dolphins. Bills win AFC East up for grabs here. Same for the Dolphins in what is going to be a, a great matchup. If Josh Allen and company beat Miami, what does that do for Allen's chase for MVP? Because right now it is all Lamar Jackson, but as Kelly brought up, what happens in week 18 and who plays and who doesn't and the fact that Buffalo was written off weeks ago? Well, he hadn't played very well in the last two games, so he has no prayer. Nobody's got a prayer. It's Lamar Jackson or Buzz. The way it's set up, it's all regular season. The voters will vote for MVP, offensive player, and defensive player. And a bigger issue to me is who's going to win offensive player, Christian McCaffrey or Tyreek Hill? But Lamar is a lock. Still blows my mind that the players, especially the quarterbacks, didn't back Lamar Jackson more when he was demanding the guaranteed money because he's run it back after getting the contract and he's a lopsided lopsided favorite for uh, MVP right now. John McClain, always great to catch up with you. Thanks for joining us today. Happy New Year to you. We look forward to next week's visit. Kelly and Jonathan, thank you guys very much. Kelly, good luck to the Ravens and the, and the Dolphins. There it is. There's John McClain. Kelly, coming up as we kick off our number two, let's dive into two things and the result of a national championship. How we will view Jim Harbaugh and how we will view Washington as a program going to the Big Ten. That's straight ahead. Hot Mike with Hutton Withrow rolls on. 